Okay. I, just wanted to, I just wanted to let you know that I started recording as part of the uh, the American Act of um, Recording Intelligence. I must disclose the so fact. So we shouldn't talk about my gonorrhea. Uh, we no, we can talk about my gonorrhea because <laughs> I it's known, but um, but you're but like everybody, your girlfriend and you are a very good looking couple. You guys look you guys look like you're meant for each other. If that makes any sense. Oh no, I appreciate that. You know, we're we're pretty happy. So I'll be yeah. heading back up there, uh, heading back up there tomorrow morning at around uh, five a.m. I'm going to get on the road and uh, nice. Get back Where, up there. Does she live in um, South Carolina or North Carolina? Basically, but but literally stones throw from from South Carolina. It's like the tail of North Carolina on the western edge. Uh, oh, nice! In the Smoky Mountains. So, ah, oh, the Smokies. Yeah, the Smokies. Are you going to uh, move up there ever, or would she move down to Georgia? Uh, or has that not even been? That's a good question. We're we're trying to figure that out. North we'll Carolina say, is cool. We're going to re- definitely retire up there. I mean, yeah, have, it's a great we, state. We have her grandmother's house. Uh, not we. She has her grandmother's house. Oh, really? Uh, which is just down the hill from where her parents live. So, oh, yeah, I like it. Do you, does she go to the Outer Banks or anything like that? She goes to the uh, Redneck Riviera, which What's, is, uh, what is that? Usually, uh, the Panhandle of Florida. Oh, nice. Which is where Dude, I go to. So, you know, we, we got to talk about this. I guess we could start the show. We got to talk about, I've been watching a lot of wrestling lately and, <laughs> um, I gotta, I, and I, because I started. I used to love wrestling as a kid. Uh, I mean, I used to go to like Spectrum and go and see like Macho oh, Man. You, you actually went to the events. I never. I got went to, to the, the events. events. I loved. I was obsessed just with John too. Like that's when we really started becoming friends. When it's like you like wrestling, yeah, me too. I got wrestling buddies, me too. Yeah. And I've been watching Dark Side of the Ring religiously. It's a show on. Um, really? Do you know? Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Okay. It's yeah, you don't ever hear about it. I heard about it from a friend that like posted on Facebook, and I was like, "What? This is a thing." It's a docu series on um, Vice, which I guess we get it through like HBO or Sling or something. But it, 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 there's an hour episode each Tuesday, and it talks about what you think it is a dark the dark part of the ring. And last night was Legion of Doom, or this Tuesday past Tuesday was Legion of Doom, which I loved. And it's not just WWF. It's like um, there's a lot of WWF, but it's like different wrestling organizations and like these dark stories of like these guys in real life and how fucked up they were. And a lot of them killed themselves and stuff. But the reason I bring it up was almost like 90 percent of WWF wrestlers that died died in like the panhandle of Florida somewhere. Like they all retire there and die. Like don't move there anymore if you're a WWF wrestler because like Macho Man. The guy from Legion of Doom, um, um, there was like a whole bunch, and they all they all moved to like the Gulf Coast of Florida. I guess it's like, well, Tampa. Oh, I know Tampa is like a big area for them. Yeah, it's all around Tampa. Like, I don't know why. I'm curious. Do you know why? Like, because a lot of them retire to like Tampa I area. I don't even know. I know like like Hulk Hogan lives there, and he 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 sends out a bunch of tweets, and you know he's doing his thing, and. But I, I don't know why it's like based there because there's 
a lot of, I don't, is because WWE is basically based out of New Hampshire. That's where the McMahons live. Right. The, the, the famous McMahons. Yeah. Yeah. You're fired. Ah. By the way, you're listening to History Hour, ladies and gentlemen, officially with our good friend Bob, who I'm very happy to see you, man. Um, you've been, it's been, it's been a while. good. You, you've seen it's been a while and you seem like you've been happy and good during this pandemic, which makes me feel a little warm and fuzzy because you're like a, an authority figure of sorts. So if you're doing OK, I'm like, there's hope. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's doing what it's doing. You know, we're uh, I'm gainfully employed and by the federal government. And I'm very fortunate to uh, have my job. And I think uh, everybody else who is able to maintain their uh, career and their job uh, through this time is uh, also incredibly fortunate. And I feel for the people who aren't able to you know, the, the, that stuff kind of went away with the economy the way it's going. But hopefully it comes back. You know, we'll see. I hope so. People say this is forever. And no, it's not. I, 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 I get it. Some things will change forever. and They should like precautions. Of well, things, you, live but... in a state, you, you live in a state where they're going to go, I think, until like September 1st now with uh, quarantine stuff. Yeah. And, I think that might be too much. You know, I think there needs to be a happy medium. Like I live in Georgia and we opened up two weeks ago. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're, we're wide open. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I want to get wide open. I want to get a haircut again. I wanna, <laughs> and get a know? tattoo and maybe, a, you know, you know yeah. get your nails done. I do think California is, is we yeah, get my nails done. I, I do think California is going overboard with this. I mean, they don't have any rhyme or reason to extend it this long. They just don't know, so they're like, fuck it. Let's just close it for three months. And I don't think that's the right answer. you got to well, get I things moving needs, again. Uh, there needs to be a happy medium. You know, There yeah. needs to be something in between with all that. And it's gotten way too political. You know, with yes. you know, Trump, Trump's made a mess of this on uh, the federal side uh, with his, uh, you know, air quotes, press conferences. <laughs> The Trump, sh- the Daily Trump Show. Yeah, so he can just get out there and because he can't hold campaign rallies anymore, he's got to do it through that medium. Yeah, that's his like that's his medium, that's his shtick. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to go too far to the other side too, where we're just shutting everything down. I think I think we can handle this now with social distancing and uh, face masks, and you know, now that we've gone through the first, you know three months of this essentially almost three months uh i think we can we we are able to handle this you know we'll see i don't know you know i'm not an expert and i think we should listen to people like you know dr fauci and uh and some of the other experts who really know what they're talking about and you know not donald trump or talking heads like i i think you know more than most though i mean i you're a smart guy you know a lot i i agree with you i think we're good with social distancing now and we should uh you know let loose of the reins there's obviously always going to be people that have pre-existing conditions that are sick and we should look out for them but i don't think it's fair to quote unquote for lack of a better word punish the economy and everybody because we just they don't know what how this is going to last like start loosening the reins let people go out more yeah absolutely I mean, you're not gonna have a concert you're not gonna 
open up 80,000 fans to a Taylor Swift concert tomorrow. That's not practical, but no, but like, you know, get the small businesses back in action, you know, little mom and pop shops who are making, you know, cookies or, you know, doing all the other stuff in that community, you know, let, let them get out and start doing their thing again and allow them to, uh, you know, start selling stuff and prosper and, yeah, keep keep things moving. You know, help the little guy out. Get get that sure. that money. I do like that the NFL released this week their 2020 schedule as planned. Obviously, there was the caveat. They did say, "Hey, we might, you know, we'll amend this based on medical professions and what guidance says." But as of now, it's going forward as is. Here's the schedule. We're moving well, ahead. No, you do it uh, responsibly and, uh, you know, you do it like, you know, UFC just did a huge card, uh, you know, last Saturday night. So, and, yeah. and they had one guy hit positive on COVID and they pulled him from the card and, you know, that fight was gone. So whatever, but they still were able to put on a show and that's what, you know, you want to do. And NASCAR is trying yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah. I want to talk about NASCAR. So there's a lot at stake and NASCAR is as you know, you're a big fan. It's an American tradition, and it's can't tell. Well, I can't tell Blaney. I love Blaney. That's a great shirt. That's an official shirt too. It looks like you can't see me, Blaney. It's camo. Yeah, I don't know where he is. I think Bob left. I think he's. In, I think there's a big tree in his house because I can't see him. <laughs> so what's going on with NASCAR though? Like, what is their plans? Well, what they're doing is, and I think they have the market cornered because, and NASCAR is a unique situation because it's not like football or baseball where you're going to have a bunch of guys in a dugout or a bunch of guys, you know, out on a field hitting each other, being in close contact. NASCAR isn't like that. I mean, you have a driver in a car and then you have the, the main problem with NASCAR is the crew. Uh, so they're running a race at Darlington on Sunday and they're going to run at the same track on Wednesday with the same drivers and everybody. And I think NASCAR is really taking, they're trying to fill some of this void that has been established with, you know, all all of this COVID stuff where where there's no sports. NASCAR is going to try to fill that void. And somebody who's not a NASCAR fan might tune in on a Wednesday night and be like, you know, I got nothing else to do. I'm tired of watching Netflix. I'm tired of, you know, doing this or that, you know, I'll I'll watch a race. I'll watch this. Watch these bubbles just turn left. And everybody's sick of watching Netflix and doing this. This is a welcome thing. Yeah. I'm not even a big NASCAR guy. I'll, I will definitely well, watch it because the it's there. Bet on it too. You just bet on it. You know, get some friends together and bet on it. You know, and you don't yeah, have to play some bets. Doing. I do like the betting aspect of it. But so so they're they're taking all their NASCAR is going to Darlington, South Carolina, and they're taking all the teams, but they're only allowing. Uh, you know, a certain amount of crew members, a certain amount of team members for each team. So they're, they're actually trying to, you know, isolate and, and distance with the COVID stuff. And they're actually not even letting the spotters, the spotters for NASCAR are key because they stand on top of the grandstands and tell the drivers, you know, where the cars are around them. And now they're not going to be doing that. There's no fans in the stands. There, there's not going to be any fans in the grandstands. It's going to be the the spotters in the grandstands. Oh, is that how they're doing that? So the yeah. spotters are going to – and how many spotters are there? One spotter per driver? Yes. Yeah, correct. So, so how many drivers are there? 24? 40. Oh, okay. I'm way off. So there's going to be 40 people in the stands working as spot, in the grandstands working as spotters, and that's it. 
Yeah. As far as an audience goes. What about the pit crew? Are they doing anything? Four guys over the wall. Four guys over the wall to change the tires. And they're not going to practice. They're not going to qualify. They're literally just going to line them up, start the engines, and go. And go. And that's how that works. And and you're right, though. It's different than other sports where you're not passing a ball and touching the same object. You're isolated in a car, at least the drivers. So, Well, yeah, too. And, and the drivers are being told to basically they, – they stay in these multimillion-dollar motorhomes, and they're going to be staying in those motorhomes until – Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Until they get called to their cars. And then they'll just put their helmet on, get in the car, and go. And this is going to be really it's, – it's going to be unique even for the NASCAR fans because – there's no there there's nothing like literally these cars are dropping off the back of the truck rolling out onto the grid for the race and they're going to go. There's no time to adjust on them. There's nothing no. going to be able to tweak on or anything. It's what you got when you drop that thing off the truck is what you got. So and they're going to race. So it kind of gives like not just like the big teams, you know, the big Toyota and the Ford teams and the Chevy yeah. teams it's going to give the little guys maybe some sort of a little advantage to be able to go out there and maybe, you know, who knows, shock the world. Yeah, I like that. I like hearing like the little guy has an advantage and because it's yeah. a different dichotomy of how they're doing this. And um, I'm really I'm really interested to see how many people tune in because it's obviously – is NASCAR the biggest sport in America? Do, do the most, most people watch that? Because it's already – I know it's already huge. No, NFL. NFL gets yes, more TV. NFL gets more TV. NASCAR, I think MLB probably uh, surpassed NASCAR in the past couple of years, uh, even with kind of their like declining fan base. But NASCAR totally, they shot themselves in the foot probably about 15 years ago when they started to go out west and they lost their southern oh. When they lost their what? Southern fan base. You know, oh, they, closed yeah. a, they closed a lot of tracks down and they stopped going to those dates. And, you know, that, that was their fan base, you know, it's a, yeah, they had that big one in North Carolina that closed. It, I mean, it wasn't a big Rockingham, track, but it was famous. Yeah. Rockingham and North Wilkesboro. Uh, Wilkesboro is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. I know they closed that down. Rockingham was the other one. Yeah. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to see uh, how many people tune in because like you said, people are hungry for sports. On. There's nothing going on. We need live sports again. I mean, you can only watch. I get it. There's endless amount of movies and endless TV shows, but you can only like watch TV for so long. <clears throat> well, this, you, need, you need sports. Yeah, this is what I worry about. You know, NASCAR is going to stub their toe potentially here, but we'll see. You know, really? I don't. Want, I don't want these guys to play nice. You know, in the race. You know, you're you're driving out there to win. So go win. And if you got to turn a guy to win, turn a guy. Turn him. Oh, do you yeah. think they're going to like? Play it I safe. think I think so. I, I don't think they're going to play it safe. I think they know. They know would, it's on the line because this is the same. What brought NASCAR to the forefront was the 1979 Daytona 500. It was the first race that was ever live broadcast on a major network. I think it was on CBS. Oh, really? And there was a massive snowstorm in uh, the Northeast at that time. So, and that's when you, 1979, you didn't have cable. You just had the three stations. You just got an antenna up and you got ABC, NBC, and CBS. CBS was showing the NASCAR race and they had like an unbelievable race. And at the end of the race, there was a huge fight. Richard Petty won, but there was a huge fight between the drivers. And, you know, it really kind of, that's kind of something we need to see from that. 
you know, yeah, not WWF style stuff, but you know, right. let these guys show their emotion a little bit. Yeah, I would like to see that. It'd be interesting to see how many people tune in and how they play that out and what precedent that sets. So, if they um, like after after the uh, I'm sorry, where in, in South Carolina is this race again? Burlington. It's it's in Darlington. 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 Burlington. The, it's in Lady in Black. These cars have to run up against the wall the entire time because that's oh, the shit. So you're going to hit the wall. So, but but what is a great thing to do with your friends, your buddies on Sunday if you're going to be drinking? You know, have some beers. Yeah. You know, I will bet the race. You know, just bet the race. You know, take uh, take you know take like uh, you know in a hat. You know, five uh, numbers. And anybody who picks number one, you get, you know, the first car in the race, the 10th car, the 20th car, and the 30th car, and the 40th car. And you split it up, okay. and the same thing with two. <coughs> same thing with two. It's all divisible. What you if? Down the line on that, and then, like, the first car that hits the wall. At Darlington, a car is going to hit the wall. Uh, no doubt. Within the first, like, 10 laps. Wow. That's quick. So you give them like, you know, 10% of the pot. And then, you know, the guy who's leading halfway gets like another 10% of the pot. And then whoever's driver wins, you know, you get the rest of the pot. So that's a great idea. And if Brad <laughs> yeah, Keselowski, Brad, is that his name? Brad Keselowski? Yeah, he drives uh, for Miller Lite number two Penske car. That's why I know him because I drink Miller Lite every day. So I, I see that name. I guess adver- advertisers know my. Of their target audience or something. So I've seen a yeah. lot of Brad Keselowski. I hope you don't have an Alexa right now. What's that? I hope you don't have an Alexa right now. Oh, no, I do. So I know that. I'll oh, yeah. Be... Yeah, she's. But, but Brad Keselowski is Miller Lite, and he is racing Sunday. And there's an Alex Bauman. Bowman. He drives Bowman. the number 88 car. Nationwide, Bowman. number 88. Nationwide. Okay. So for this be the betting, car that Dale Earnhardt Jr. drove. That's why that's okay. That's what I read or I saw that and I recognized the number. Uh, or the, the, uh, so to put this in a pool, you could say the first, you know, car that hits a wall. If it's your number, you get like 10% of the pot or 10 bucks out of That's a good idea. Have you done that before? We do it all the time at every race, except we do it with beer pong. Oh, no, oh set, nice. We set out 40 cups before the race, uh, you know, outside the track on race morning while we're cooking breakfast and oh, that's a good idea and everybody you put in you know whatever it is like 10 bucks 20 bucks whatever you know everybody throws in some money and you know you, you get you, you get to throw and you know yeah and there's cups uh the cups have the driver's numbers written on the bottom of them it's pretty fun though to do that especially with breakfast and you're in the zone it's almost like christmas for oh. Adults. And in a NASCAR race, it is not frowned upon to uh, start drinking uh, at like 8 a.m. Good, as it shouldn't be. Yeah. See, see I, th- I believe that's the exception. If you wake up on like a Tuesday and there's nothing going on, you start drinking, you might have a problem. But if there's <laughs> yeah. a sport going on, like all bets are off, everything's forgiven. Yeah, and like, you know, we have like, you know, ladies there, we have females, so we do the mimosas, <laughs> we do, uh, you know, Bloody Marys, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, Bloody Marys. The guys are drinking the beers, and we're you know you're having a little bit of whiskey, or you know it is what it is. Earliest I ever drank um, was at eight a.m. We went to 
uh, soccer game uh, on TV. It was like one of the World Cup games in Philadelphia at Tiernan Nog, like 2008. And I'm not even a big soccer fan at all, but I went with some friends that really liked it. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. Let's go. We'll drink. We were doing shots of whiskey, at, you yeah. know, the, because there's like a lot of expats there. Yes. I was like, yeah, I'm Irish. I can hold up. Let's do it. Never was so sick. There's just something unnatural about doing multiple shots of whiskey with breakfast. But yeah. the beer was fine. It was when I started was doing shots. It was a problem. But I can like do the beer in the morning because you you start like shampooing and feeling good, and you're like, all right, let's watch watch the NASCAR. Yeah, the beer is going to carry you. And the thing is, with a NASCAR event, you know, you got to look towards you know, you're you're in a, you're in a marathon. You're not on a sprint. So right. There's there's no reason to be doing shots. Maybe you have like a couple mixed drinks in the morning, and then you know you just switch yeah. and and coast. That's that. a good point. But um, what would Tim Richmond do during COVID nineteen if he were competing in Sunday's race in Darlington? Would he still be abiding in his trailer? Would he still be having sex and having fun? Well, I think he would snort a line of cocaine off a hooker's ass, and then uh, and then he would probably have a couple shots. Uh, I don't know if he did bourbon or what his he he was probably more of a vodka guy, so he you probably so? a couple shots of vodka. Yeah, he's was a, he he's a classier guy. Was he a wild guy like that though, with like hookers oh, yeah. and stuff? Oh yeah, big time. Is that how he caught the hiv? Yeah, yeah, he was a partier. But he was like a yeah, he was a he was a, a wild man. He yeah, he uh... with a lot of women. Okay. That's how he got it. The thing was, too, like, you know, people thought like he was gay or something. And, you know, because back then when oh. the, when those yes. guys got AIDS, you know, it was, you know, a gay disease. And, you know, that that's way off the mark on him. He wasn't gay. Uh, he, no. he slept with a lot of women and caught it. Wow. What year did he die again? It was like early 90s? 89. 89. March of 89, I think. And he tried to race earlier that year. Uh, NASCAR wouldn't let him because he had so many the drugs in his body to try to fight off the uh, the AIDS virus. Uh, it popped him positive for methamphetamine. That's really sad. Uh, yeah. He literally had a car that was ready to go, and he was going to drive in the Bush Clash, which is the Bud Shootout now, which is a exhibition race before the Daytona 500. Which just for money, it's like 70 laps. And these guys just go all out, you know, bring me the steering wheel or, you know, don't even bring me the car back. <clears throat> you know, really? and, and he, he couldn't even race in that NASCAR uh, took him out of that. That's heartbreaking, actually, to have a guy that's as talented as he is and yeah. oh, they race fucked. like that. NASCAR fucked him. Yeah, that's bad, man. Imagine like that's the only thing you love doing and you know how to do and you're great at it. And, and because and of some formality. Cars. He drove Indy cars before that, and he, he was did, didn't he? <clears throat> that's sad. Yeah. That's like being a baseball player. That's all you love and all you know. Yeah. And you had a wild ride, and you, you know you got sick, and they're like, "Hey, you can't play anymore." It's like, well, what the fuck am I gonna do? That probably killed him ultimately. Yeah, that's what they said it did. I mean, really? You know, I wouldn't he, be surprised. He basically, after he got NASCAR, cut him out. He uh, went back to his uh, family's apartment in West Palm Beach. Uh, and like literally, like his driver's helmet and everything was still there. Like he went to the hospital then after that when he got really sick. And that's sad. So yeah, it's a sad story with him because he would have been great for the sport. He would have uh, he would have done a lot, and he would still be around now. 
I mean, he would probably be a team owner or something now. And he was flashy and he was ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his time. It didn't fly back then, but it would have flown now. It sounds like that. And that was going to be my, my next question about, because I'm, I'm just thinking of Tim Richmond. I know we spoke of him before. What would he be doing today? You think he'd be like a team owner had he not, you know, passed away? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know what his business acumen was, but I think uh, he probably would have gotten it together. I mean, he died when he was 34. Yikes. Uh, in 89. So he was a young guy. Uh, but yeah, it would have been uh, 60, uh, 65 or something. He would have won a few championships. Earnhardt wouldn't have won as many championships, and they would have battled. And they were actually good buddies, and they were oil and water. Were they? Were they yeah. were friends in real life? Yeah. yeah or off the track? Like, they didn't really hang out outside the track, but th- yeah. they, they got along, and they understood each other because they were both just racers. Like, just get in the car, strap yourself in, and race. I guess it's not too dissimilar from um... – Indy, uh, uh, Indy cars, um, Formula One cars. I mean, uh, Nicky Lauda and um, yeah. James Hunt. You know, there was a big rivalry, but they actually like liked each other. Yeah, that's a great movie. Oh, Rush. Oh, it's in my top. It's in my yeah, top ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen that like uh, maybe no no bullshitting, maybe like fifteen times. I love it. I love that movie. That's fantastic. My name is Nicky Lauda, and people <laughs> know me for two things. First is my rivalry with him. Second is what I did on August 2nd, 1971, when I was driving like an asshole. <laughs> it's just so good. When he's um, with, uh, when he's with, you know, who's going to be his wife eventually, you know. Oh, like, yeah. She's like, oh, how yeah. do you feel that in the car? He's like, oh, I can feel it to my ass. Yeah. I was born with a bad, bad brain or something. He's like, but, I was, but God gave me a very good ass. There's no need to drive fast. It only increases the percentage of risk. <laughs> because I asked you to. And then he does it, and the Italian guys are like, whoa, Nicky Lauda, Nicky Lauda. Yeah, um, those guys, those guys back then were nuts to drive those cars. Oh, they were yeah. just like fiberglass death machines. Really? They were that unsafe uh, compared to today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was no safety measures there. It was a five-point harness, and you had a helmet on, and that was it. You know yeah. what's crazy, too? is good the luck. Yeah, good luck. The career span of those guys, like Mario Andretti is in that movie in the early 70s. And yeah. I remember him racing when I was a kid in like the late 80s. You'd see like, you know, Mario Andretti was the name that like kids knew because um, he, he lived in Pennsylvania, I guess, in that area. Yeah, he lived in uh, he lived in Nazareth. He still lives in Nazareth. He's there. Does he? Yeah. Oh, wow. The whole Andretti family is still there. Even Marco, his uh, grandson. Some people don't like the Andrettis very much. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I met somebody, and I met like two people. They're like, "Oh, I don't like the Andrettis." I'm like, "You're an asshole." Like, what, what's there not to like? He's an institution. He's great. Well, maybe they had a bad experience, but I have a personal story on that front. Do you? Well. Yeah. Oh, you got to share away. Well, my well, it's not my personal story, but you know, secondhand from my uh, sister-in-law. She's a nurse at University of Pennsylvania, and uh, she was. Uh, looking after Mario Andretti's wife. Uh, she was dying of cancer, essentially. Oh. And she had no idea who the hell he was. She didn't know. And she was t- talking to my brother, and she's like, well, there's this cute little Italian man who's there, and his name is, I think, Mario Andretti. And my brother was <sighs> are you fucking kidding me? That's your brother's wife? Yeah. 
She she is a registered nurse at University of Pennsylvania. And nice. She, yeah. So she she walked Mario Andretti's wife, uh, you know, kind of through all that, and you know, she eventually died. It was hospice, and you know, it was terminal yeah. cancer. But uh, she had no idea who the hell he was. Really? Could you and imagine? And and he and she said, like, I can't believe this guy. Like, he is at her bed every night, every single night. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Until we, until we kick him out. So what a, what a like, you see, you see both sides of it. You know, I'm sure people had a, maybe a bad experience with him. No, too. they're assholes. He's a great man. There's nothing bad <laughs> to say Mario, Mario Andretti. Um, he's a great man. He's great, yeah. right? That's amazing, like, though, about your sister. Five foot five, and like, yeah. You know what's cool? And those, uh, with those, that's a cool story. In those races, um, the guy, I'm trying to think of his name. It was, it was in the movie Rush. The guy from South Africa, I think, in the Formula One had a six wheel, uh, it was called like a terror or something. I'm going to look it up. But the, the, the Formula One car had six wheels on it. It had like, Two in the front, two in the back, two more behind that. Uh, is well, it, what's yeah, the advantage there was, of that? There's something going on. Yeah. Is there is there an advantage to that? Well, you got more rubber on the road. You get more grip. That's it. Uh, I, I'm Matt Clark, and I have all the facts here. Apparently, I don't know the name. It was the <laughs> Tyrell P34, the six wheeler. It was a Formula One um, that they used. Uh, back in the Formula One racing between 75. Uh, it started in 77, and it stopped after 79. But it yeah, just... Uh, that. What's that? I don't know much about that. That was like when NASCAR, when uh, the Petties started to use the huge wing on the back of the car to give them more rear downforce. Yeah. NASCAR, uh, the, it was the Plymouth Roadrunner. And yes. NASCAR, after two years, NASCAR was like, eh-eh, you're not doing that anymore. Because literally Plymouth made that car just to put it on the track. And NASCAR's requirements for that car were, was you have to sell at least 5,000 5, of those cars off the showroom floor. And then we oh. a production stock car. So they did that, but, you know, it, it, it was a shame. Yeah, because... From an aerodynamic standpoint, what is the benefit of having a wing that high? I mean, this thing was like eight feet tall or well, something. When you're going it's 200 crazy. miles an hour, when you're going 200 miles an hour, there's a benefit. But when you're just driving down the street and you're not going to get above, you know, like <laughs> miles an hour, there, there's no benefit. I so, wonder if you could buy one of those today. Oh, they're uh, very sought after. I mean, you, you have to, uh, you're going to spend over $100,000 trying to get one of those, a Plymouth Roadrunner. Really? Yeah, they're cool looking cars. I mean, in the right color, if they were in good shape. Oh yeah, yeah, they look cool. These guys too. And it, it I'm, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts with these old NASCAR owners. Oh yeah, these cars, like year to year, like when a when a factory style goes out of uh, business or when it goes out of uh, style, there's no use for it anymore. So they would literally, there's like junkyards, not even junkyards. They would dig big holes and just throw the cars into the holes What? and bury we gotta, them. We got to find those holes. Yeah. Like out back behind Petty's garage right now, there's all those cars are buried back there. Really? Why? Why would they do that? Because they weren't worth anything. 
So get get rid of them. How else are you going to get rid of them? Bury yeah, them. what do you do? That's crazy. But like, dig them up now. Those things, that shit's worth some fucking money. Oh yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you 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 <laughs> excavate those. Forget about it. Yeah, that's how you that's how you uh, increase the value of your car, listeners. Just bury it. You might not have a vehicle, but like, dig it up in like ten years. That Saturn SL1 will be worth like fifty grand. Yeah, I'm looking with my uh, 2013 Toyota Highlander. I'm gonna bury that nice. one. Nice. Oh, uh, I like the Highlander. That's a good come car. Come back 20 20 years later and yeah, it's fine. Um, I wanted to ask you about. Oh, before we move on, any predictions on uh, the Darlington situation on this Wednesday, Mr. Bob? Uh, Kevin Harvick wins. Okay, Kevin Harvick. We'll go Kevin Harvick, and you can quote me on that, and we'll see how we do uh, next week. Take that to the back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have to do a follow-up show after this, after the race. Yeah. And see uh, what the predictions are. So you can see how stupid I am. No way. The man. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you, there's two things I wanted to bring up tonight. I'm going to leave it to you what you want to get into. One was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, Fireside Chats. Apparently there were some biking activities going on in the back. There's some What? There was something to do with a bike. Okay. No? I thought you mentioned that earlier. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I could be wrong, too. No, you're, you're never wrong, Bob. No, I, no, I, no you're not. I'm frequently. You're wrong. always right. Uh, let's okay. jump into okay. this. I wanted to talk to you because I read an article today about seven things people might not know about U.S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant, and you actually knew all of these because you've brought these up on shows before. And I was reading this article, and I'm not, I'm not making this up at all. I was reading this article, and like 30 minutes later, you were like, you want to do a history hour tonight? And I was like, I was just thinking about you because um, Ulysses S. Grant is an amazing man, for better or worse, whatever uh, things he did that were great or things he did that were dangerous to himself. Um, he was a colorful character beyond maybe one of the most colorful presidents ever as far as like a human being of that guy's life. Do you know he was kind of a shitty soldier like a decade before he became the commanding general? Oh, yeah. yeah See, I didn't know that. He I wasn't anything guy was like, special. He was nothing special. Apparently he wasn't, and I didn't know that, and I didn't know until we the last show we did, I don't know if you remember, I wasn't aware that he wasn't the – commander of the, the Union Army from day one. He was appointed that in, uh, I think, April of six, 1864. Yeah. So he kind of worked his way up to this calling of his that he was born to do. But Robert E. Lee was his cohort, you know, the, the, the person on the same level age-wise to a certain extent. And Robert E. Lee was a shining exemplar of what a soldier should be. Yeah. Right. <coughs> he just went over to the other side, you know? Right. Cause it, cause of like family, like he knew they probably wouldn't win the war, but because of like duty to country and you know, <coughs> he fought for Virginia. I think I have the COVID. Oh. <coughs> we better get you uh, a temperature check and a, and a mask at yeah. six feet distancing. <clears throat> but, but between becoming the, uh, you know, general of the Union armies, the commander uh, of, of leading the Union. He sure. was a realtor. He did um, he did all kinds of like odd jobs. 
Well, <laughs> he wasn't good at them. Apparently not. So, Bob, I want to uh, bring up these things if we can and ask you your thoughts on these because I, th- I found this article very interesting. Um, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, does the S stand for anything? No. I didn't know that either. I always thought it was Harry S. Truman was like the S that didn't stand for anything, but apparently Grant too. Yeah, no. That wasn't even his real name. Yeah. With the S. Um, you've touched on this before. This is really interesting. This is a little bit of a side from Grant, but preceding Ulysses S. Grant being appointed by Lincoln, McClellan was the head of the Union armies during the Civil War. Yep. Apparently, he did such a piss poor job. He wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln requesting um, additional resources because, uh, you know, he needed more uh, resources for the troops for the army to continue. Lincoln wrote back, kind of like tongue in cheek, mocking him, saying, "Oh, your horses are fatigued. Um, what did they do to, you know, they're, you know, be fatigued? You haven't won any, you know." He, Lincoln was very disappointed in McClellan, right? Yes. yes, and that that I think that letter is uh, related to the Peninsula Campaign uh, with McClellan, where oh. he didn't do anything where Lincoln actually said in that letter, you know, I know your men are shucking oysters and, you know, uh, having a good time, but uh, we need to fight. And Lincoln... He wasn't impressed. Yeah. McClellan was an excellent logistician he could set the army up he could get everybody in their in their place but he was afraid to fight grant wasn't afraid to and this is horrible to say because it's human beings but he wasn't afraid he was not afraid to throw meat at the enemy real okay um that makes sense because the first uh point they made in this article was grant was relentless and fearless he just Fearless. You could have put fear into him. And his his family, he grew up, uh, his father owned a tannery, which back then a tannery is where you gut out, you know, cows and horses and, you know, you're taking the, taking the leather from them. For boots you know, and stuff, right? And yeah. And Grant tried to work there and he got sick at all the blood. Really? Yet, yet in the Civil War, he's called Grant the Butcher. Because he yeah, right. How does that work? Through his men, you know, at the enemy, and you know, that's just something he had to live with. Yeah, he just threw him in there, regardless of the and he uh, wasn't a drunk. He was not a drunk. No, he does get an unfair I, rap I think, with that a lot. Get right? that, so I don't want to step too far ahead. No, 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 no. I I do want to talk about that. Um, on paper. My question to you is, they say, you you mentioned McClellan was an excellent statistician. As far as a military background and training goes, he wasn't as qualified, not even in the same realm as these other guys before him. But he did the job they couldn't. Why did Lincoln appoint him? Was it because he saw the victories and was like, this guy's untouchable? No, because, you know, you you have the same thing that goes on today in our government with bureaucracy. You know, you have people that might comport themselves a little bit better than the other person. So they're going to get the job. So that's how McClellan got the job. He was more polished. He he looked like a general. He was a very good-looking wow. man. He 
and 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 he said the right things. I mean, he did the he said and did the right things in the beginning, and Lincoln appointed him the general. So he did it. Um, yeah, it was it was not dissimilar to the bureaucracy of today, where. Sure. If you've, if you've been on an aircraft carrier once in your life, Trump might appoint you the Secretary of the Navy. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. And then there's the flip side of that, where if your aircraft carrier gets COVID, uh, you're going to get... Uh, oh, down. Right. Yeah. That's, that's terrible, too, that that happened. It's like... I am so tired of the orange, man. I am so tired of him. We're all tired of the orange. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote, Bob. This is from Sherman. General Sherman. Mm-hmm. He told his fellow officer, uh, James Harrison Wilson, I'm a damned, I am a damned sight smarter man than Grant. I know a great deal more about war, military history, strategy, and Grant tactics than he does. I know more about organization, supply, and administration, and about everything else than he does. But I'll tell you where he beats me and where he beats the world. He don't care a damn for what the enemy does out of his sight but it scares me like hell. Yeah. That's a real quote. You know what? And take pretty, that from Sherman. Sherman is the one who marched through the South and torched Georgia, you know, you know, yeah. down through the entire state. Yeah, he wasn't and a timid guy. Grant and Sherman is spot on there. Grant didn't give a shit. That's crazy. Grant was kind of a... Grant was like, you know, hey, we got the, the Confederate forces here. Let's hit them. Let's hit them here, here, and here. He and was fearless. And it wasn't like stupid fearless. It was tactical. He, he yeah, was, it wasn't like Hitler fearless where it's like, just fight everybody. It's like, uh, we're, we're all going to die in 10 days if we do it. No, Grant just still, do it. Grant was still pretty smart about it. Pretty amazing. And the first time he met Lincoln at the White House... Grant was oh, only yeah. five foot six or five foot seven. He wasn't a tall man. Oh, and really? Lincoln was six foot five. Uh, Grant was in a corner of the room of the White House in uh, the the uh, east. I don't know what the hell you call that. The uh, the east like room or whatever, whatever the ballroom is there. Okay. And was over there, and everybody was like all over him. And he's standing there in his uniform, and it's still like dirty. And covered in mud. Oh, shit. And Lincoln went over to him and, you know, said, that's the first time they really, like, met in person. Oh, wow. And he he wasn't, like... 1864. Was that the same month that he was appointed? Or was that after? Commanding commanding general of the Commanding general. The only only other person who ever had that was George Washington. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. So technically, it's like a five-star general. And say. I might be wrong. I might be wrong with that name, but he only he had the highest command in the military. Uh, really, at that point. So. So when he met Lincoln, he was like a cowboy. He was still kind of dirty. The uniform was. I'll never forget. I went to. He he stayed uh, across the street. Uh, God. And I'm and I'm not going to remember the name of this damn hotel across the street, but it's still a hotel now. They they've raised what was there when Grant stayed there with his son. He brought his son with him, but he signed in. You know, uh, the Willard. The Willard. Yep, you're you're spot on. Right? Is that it? Yeah, the Willard. 
people go there now to, you know, have mimosas and, you know, have a good Yuppies. Yeah. Not me. I go there for blood. I go there to learn about Grant. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm sorry. Go on. So but they he... still have the guest book that's open to where he, yeah. signs, he signed his name in and his son's name in. And it's have you been there? That page. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, this is one of the things I look forward to when COVID-19 simmers down, is like going to these places. Dude, um, D.C. is like, if you want to go to D.C., city. I can like, I can give you a whole tourist map, like what to do, what not to do. And... Yeah. That's what we need. We need like a Bob manual of where to go in D.C. Because it's the real deal. You get I, it. Lived there, just... I lived there for six months and I went through all of it. Oh, I wow. know it better than I know Philadelphia. And really? I grew up in Philly. So, yeah, no, that's amazing. I, and I being trust, a history guy. I trust D.C. better than I trust Philly. I mean, I can I can take you to the Surratt boarding house where the conspirators uh, where they were no. the Lincoln assassination. I thought that's what you're going to say. Really? It's a Chinese restaurant now. Dude, we have to go. We got to go together. We got to do that. And we got to do yeah. Gettysburg still. That still has to be done. Yes. That's yeah. amazing, man. I'm glad that you live there, too, being that you're such a history guy. Like, that's cool that you were able to like, well, I experience tortured, that. Tortured I tortured my roommates, taking them on the tours with me because I demanded that. And oh, dude, that's awesome. That's not torture. That's great. <laughs> not just being in D.C., but you, you could still go to, uh, you know, uh, oh, my gosh. Arlington? Yeah, Arlington, but even farther away from that. you go to, There's a bunch of Civil War battlefields that you can go to that are within, like, two hours of D.C. Chancellorsville? Chancellorsville. Uh, oh, no, I'm asking. I don't know. Is Chancellorsville within two hours of D.C.? I'm not even... Yeah, it's two I hours. I don't know where you, that is. You can't, you can't do that battlefield. Uh, that's even worse than Gettysburg, and they don't have a very good plan set out for that. You have to, like, camp out for that tour. Uh, oh, really? Um. I'm totally missing this. It starts with an A. Antietam? Antietam, yeah. Oh, a great and terrible day. Antietam is two hours away to your west. And uh, that is the best battlefield tour I've ever been on. Really? Yeah. Bob, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you go there like in the past two years? No. No? Maybe we talked about it on a show then. No, I wish I did. But I know you've been there because we have talked. We have spoken about that on the show. No, and that's that's a, Antietam is a great battlefield because you can do that in one day and you can see everything. And uh, Gettysburg really? is different because Gettysburg no, is going to take you like a whole weekend. Yeah, to, you need to spend at least two or three days to give the respect and get the experience. It's just so big, but Antietam, it's you huge. know. It's so small, and you realize 24,000 people died there in one day. In it's basically unthinkable. six hours. Six hours. 24,000 people got killed. From a statistic point of view, just to talk about 24,000 people, listeners, if you put that into perspective, in six hours uh, per minute, um, given the proximity uh, at the time of you know two combat, uh, battling armies fighting, that's uh, a lot of deaths very quickly. It's not like you're dropping daisy cutters or, you know, precision missiles or, you know, tomahawks or whatever. I mean, these are rifles. These are muskets. Rifles? Yeah. Rifles. Uh, 
Rifled muskets. Uh, not a good way to die. Very quickly. Um, I mean, not a quick amount of time. Cannons, you know, with grape shot in the cannon, where they just they just pack oh. the cannon with a bunch of shit, just so it would blow out and you know whatever projectile. Mow you down. Yeah, just mow you down. I'm really glad that you lived. There were some guys, they said literally there was just like the boots left. Oh, geez. I believe it. I'm glad that you got to live in D.C., though, and experience that. That's like an experience of a lifetime, man. I was very fortunate to have to do that. Uh, That was very good. Oh, you did it for work? Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people. I met, you know, Bob Dole, Trent Lott, you know. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was cool. Like, and Bob Dole was a cool guy. Yeah, I like. I, awesome. I bet he is. I sat there and had a drink with him, you know, for yeah. about thirty minutes, and we just shot the shit. No shit. And he was just he, a cool guy, and even Trent Lott, you know, Trent yeah. Lott. Cool uh, yeah, yeah, of course. That's and amazing. I did, to I did to get to speak guys. to Dick Cheney, but I didn't get to speak to him. I didn't get to hang out with him. I got to speak with him. That's pretty he, cool. He was the vice president at that time, so he was going to be shuffled around everywhere. Yeah, and he's the most second powerful man in the world right there. Yeah. Ultimately, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, I want to mention this on Grant. He brushed off setbacks, and I'll give you an example. According to this article on History.com, in April, Bob, 1962, which was uh, Shiloh. 1862. Yeah, Shiloh. I'm yeah. sorry. What did I say? 19. Yes, yes. Right before Kennedy died, the Civil War was fought. Is yes. my history. Yeah. I have all the facts. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, the Battle of Shiloh. And this is Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> Fox News. Corona, COVID-19. Get out there. It's all fake. It's all fake. The Battle of Shiloh. Grant did not share his colleague's bleak view. Um, we mentioned Sherman before. He was demoralized uh, because of the first day's fighting. Yeah. Uh, while Don Carlos Well... Who was that guy? I don't know. See, nobody's heard of this guy. They had to link his name in the article. Anyway, this guy arrived with reinforcements in the midst of the battle and advised retreat. Grant refused. Uh, He said the distant rear of an army engaged in battle is not the best place from which to judge correctly what is going on in front. He wrote this in his memoirs. By the next day, he continued, we had now become the attacking party. The enemy was driven back all day. As we had be, as we had been the day before, until finally he beat a precipitate precipitate retreat. So you're talking about uh, advising to move back. Grant comes in, not a good position. The next day, they became the offender. and then pushed them forward. And that battle was pivotal. Uh, Pretty amazing. You know, and that's the that's uh, that's a big part of the Western Civil War. And that's why Lincoln put him in charge, ultimately, oh. of the Union forces, because he did so well and he was so aggressive. And, you know, he lost a lot of people doing that. But he really? he hammered the Confederates. He, he was relentless. For a guy that grew up with his father's tannery, who Grant would, like, puke at the sight of blood. Damn. And then, you know, to be called the butcher, Grant the butcher, because he threw his men at these at the Confederates the way he did. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. Like the like it's the, insane. 
don't know, like dichotomy is the right word. I, I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know this. I'm not a smart man. I don't know. But I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's almost like being afraid of the water. And then you're called the captain. He, you're so he was not afraid to throw his men at the Confederates and throw do the beat. When he had the opportunity. He didn't do it recklessly. He did it when he had the opportunity. And he took a lot of losses. And he t- took a lot of shit for it, too. True. But I do want to make a note of what you said about he didn't do it recklessly. Because... To me, that exemplifies part of the brilliance that is U.S. Grant. Anybody with a posi- in a position of power under stress is prone to be, could be prone to be reckless and say, "Well, we got to just just do it, just do it," and that could backfire and end up losing a war. Look at Hitler in World War II. You know, was down to an unwinnable situation and just said, "Every man, woman, and child out there attacked Russia in the winter." When he, sh- I mean, Grant. But what my point is, Grant did it weld this power, this uh, strength recklessly. He he knew what the outcome could be and how to like use it, which to me is... He yielded the power appropriately. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Shiloh was, he did a very good job of it. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Shiloh was 19, uh, 1862. Yeah. And this was the battle that Lincoln saw that was kind of like... Uh, this guy something that we should talk about. Yeah, that was the battle that Lincoln said where Grant's drinking became, uh, you know, became then an issue with uh, Lincoln and his advisors. Uh, and Lincoln made the famous quote, uh, well, whatever he is drinking, I hope I could give that to the rest of my generals. Pretty amazing. By the way, I also think Lincoln needs to be given more credit for his wit. Um He's like a Ben Franklin in the sense that he came up with these great quotes, and he was like sharp, very sharp, uh, at least in the stuff I've read with uh, the letters he's written. And like, talk about a smart guy, and, and sharp well, as a tack. Oh, yeah. You look at the parallels between uh, Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy was oh, Kennedy yeah. was a smart guy, but he wasn't a book smart guy. Uh, Kennedy just knew how to handle the situation when it became uh, when it was in his face and I forgot where I was going here I had something really good to say Lincoln and Kennedy yeah Lincoln and Kennedy but Lincoln knew what to do in the right situation just like Kennedy did and Lincoln stepped on his dick a few times he did early on in the war with these generals just like Kennedy did with the Bay of Pigs Kennedy learned oh. Kennedy learned not to, you know, trust, you know, not totally put his trust in the military advisors because they pushed him into the Bay of Pigs and this whole thing that was going on under Eisenhower before he even got into office. So right. and True. then he had to own it. And he owned it. He owned it. He did. Yeah, no, he definitely did. Imagine a leader doing that right now. If only that would happen today. I mean, imagine how selfless that would be. But no, even it's, it's not, not just a blame. Fault, even if it's not your fault, it happens under your watch, you own it. Exactly. The buck stops here uh, is not just a good piece of advice. It's reality. You need, you need to own the, you know, you need to take responsibility for it. When you said Lincoln okay, stepped okay, on his... Hold on, I, I, I realized what I was going to say. Oh, please. <laughs> Sorry. Lincoln, actually, when he realized his generals were very incompetent in the field, he went to the Library of Congress and 
took out a whole bunch of books and read about, you know, war strategy and, and, and regiment, you know, and everything like that. And he did an, uh, you know, he did his research in terms of looking at the war strategy so he could maybe have, you know, something to talk about with the generals, you know, on the same wavelength. Uh, and then he realized, you know, <laughs> a lot of these guys are shit. He did his homework. So, and Kennedy did the same thing after the oh, with the, with the, uh, with the, um, the chiefs, uh, yeah. Like the generals and stuff that were just, uh, the cabinet yeah. chiefs. Yeah. Kennedy didn't necessarily go to the, you know, library of Congress and look at stuff, but right. he, he had Bobby, he put, the right, he put the right people around him, you know, that helped him with the Cuban missile crisis, because if he really? had, if he had gone the same way with the Bay of Pigs that he, you know, as opposed to the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, we wouldn't be here right now. No, there'd be nuclear holocaust. Yeah, we would. Those guys wanted to go to war. Those generals wanted to make up for the mistakes during the Bay of Pigs, and they were like, "Fuck it, let's well, just invade and bomb." And the them. bottom line is, and I can't fault them for this. The generals, they have those toys, and they want to play with them. So yeah, you have billions of go. dollars of equipment let's there. Go. And they're that's, provoking us in the backyard. That's their job. Yeah, wouldn't you do it? I mean, if somebody was provoking you in the backyard, you have all these guns, you'd be like, you know what? Let's play. You want to yeah, play some games? Yeah. Would you say, uh, true, would you say Lincoln stepped on his dick a little bit with these generals? Is McClellan one of those examples? Because that kind of turned south pretty quick. <clears throat> Where it went bad with McClellan, McClellan was constantly... <clears throat> Antietam is the uh, is like basically a, a a study in bad leadership in terms of how McClellan handled that. Uh, it was very poorly handled. It was a it was a very poor battle. Uh, we should have kicked their ass, and we didn't. Really? Uh, it was a stalemate. Like on paper, the way it was. Yeah. Our advantage. We should have. It should have been McClellan, a. Sweep. McClellan had the orders. Uh, one of his uh, scouts found uh, Robert E. Lee's orders three days before. What? And he knew where the army was going to be. And he could have hit them uh, before they got to Antietam and hit them when they were, uh, uh, you know, away from each other. So Why wasn't that acted upon or taken advantage of? Because he's a pussy. Is that what it is? McClellan was just too afraid. Like, oh, we're gonna. Yeah. Too many people are gonna he, die. He was too afraid to pull the trigger. If they kept McClellan on board, we would have lost the Civil terms, War. He was a great guy in terms of building an army and getting a good fighting force ready to go. But in terms of on the battlefield, he sucked. Don't you think they romanticized McClellan a lot in literature yeah. and history more than? Do you think he okay? Let me ask you this: Do you think he gets more respect and favorism than he deserves in history? Probably, yeah. And yeah, I wonder about he, that because they do he, they do talk he, about him in a he better light. Finger to Lincoln when Lincoln actually went over, yeah, and sat in his living room, just across from the White House. This is in Lafayette Square, just across from the White House. I'm you know not sure how familiar everybody is with. Uh, Washington, D.C., but out of the north portico of the White House, it 
blows out into Lafayette Square, which you have like a church and a bunch of houses. And McClellan was in one of the houses in Lafayette. Oh. I'm not sure which one. Uh, and Lincoln walked over there one night and waited for the general to come home. No way. And the president of the United States was waiting on the general. And he sat there and waited for two hours. And McClellan came in and walked upstairs. <laughs> this was the Dolly Madison house in Lafayette yeah. Square. Yeah. So the, the guy, the president of the United States was waiting for McClellan. Imagine being in those shoes. Here you are, kind of doing a piss poor job. The president's waiting for you. That's like the boss waiting for you. I mean, like, I need to talk to you. Yeah, you're about to you're get at my house. What's the problem? It's kind of a big deal. And McClellan walks upstairs, and that was it. Wow. Could you imagine? I'd be shitting my pants. Yeah. Well, he didn't care. He thought he – if you look at the, the stuff that he's sending back and forth to his wife, uh, he thought he was, like, you know, doing God's work with all of uh, everything, the movements and everything in the Army and the Peninsula campaign and all that stuff. and yeah. He he was. I don't think he had a uh, peninsula campaign. He didn't really understand the reality of the situation, McClellan. Yeah, that's what I wonder because you have all these forces at work here. You have the president, you know, unhappy with this. You have like you know all these advisors. You have generals. There's all these moving parts, and like you gotta wonder how much of a hand you have in this and what responsibility you're taking. And maybe this isn't like what I should be doing, um, or maybe we should have seen progress better at this point and i'm just you just wonder like where his head was during this point yeah he's probably looking at it from the point of you know i i don't think he respected the president he didn't respect lincoln uh and i don't think he uh he had a good grasp on the situation that was really actually happening on the ground so interesting good thing they got rid of him well, yeah what well, happened to McClellan after he was... Yeah, thank God. He, what happened to him, though, post-booting? He ran against Lincoln for president in 1864. How'd that work out? Not well. That was still during the war. Yeah. It's well, kind of irresponsible. It's like a general... What's that? McClellan was going for, you know, a more of a peace treaty with the South. And that's what everybody was going towards. Oh, he was an appeaser. Lincoln was trying to, you know, hold it all together. And then you have one of your fucking former generals running on that freaking campaign. Are you that's kidding like, me? Wait, that's like that's like Patton running against Roosevelt or something. Exactly. It's like what are you what are you doing? Yeah. Well, Patton doing? Patton never would have done that. No. Too no, he would. I wonder if anybody we've ever had on the show is related to Patton in some way. It'd be interesting to talk to somebody that maybe had a bloodline. I don't know. I don't Connection. Know By the way, listeners, Bob is related to General George Patton, a.k.a. <laughs> the greatest general of all time. There's like Alexander no. the Great, George no. Patton. That guy was a fucking Napoleon. maniac. Patton was a maniac. Yeah, he got results, though. He was a great though. general in war, not a great general in peace. No, he wasn't. Yeah, was kind of a maniac. Pretty no, cool. He wanted to go like I agree with him. He wanted to push the Soviets over. Yeah. But, but no, like it, 
he didn't have the backing for that, and he overstepped his bounds. Right. I agree with you. Maybe not the right time, but like we all share the sentiment. <laughs> Um, I, I want to bring this up with Grant. He had an eye, this is according to the article, he had a gift for seeing the lay of the land. Uh, his memory for terrain was photographic, apparently. This guy could look at uh, something on a map, um, and, and Grant would just know the topography and would almost like never get confused. Um, it, he had superb horsemanship. He could look at a battlefield, uh, and apparently in the Eastern Theater of the Civil War, uh, he studied only for eight weeks. Grant revealed a thorough grasp of the strategic situation. He decided to leave executive command of the Army of the Potomac to George Meade in order to give himself, Grant, time to manage an extensive area of operations stretching from New England to New Mexico, from Minnesota to Mississippi. Wherever Lee goes, what's that? I said, Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, he said Grant unleashed, um, Sheridan's cavalry on Shenandoah Valley and just, you know, that the March to the South, um, we mentioned this before destroying railroad supplies, morale. Um, but I didn't know this, that Grant had such a photographic memory of geography and where troops needed to be at what time and what place and conditions that it was, almost like a, like a computer of sorts. Are you familiar with this? Well, that was, that was everything you needed to do in the civil war. I mean, like we didn't have cell phones. We don't have any of these communication measures. You know, it was all flags back then, you know, on the battlefield. Yeah. Flags and drums and a smoky battlefield. So usually after the battle started, like you got what you got. So that's it. And let me speak to something in terms of grants, horsemanship uh during the battle uh against the mexicans in 1848 grant was fighting with uh lee uh, they were all together they, they really came up together yeah that blows your mind dude they they all came up together and then they fought each other in the civil war it's, it's unbelievable they like it was 1848 they, like was that zachary taylor too was that the mexican i think so American yeah era? it was about about his time old rough and ready yeah, old rough and Grant, Grant fought with Lee because they all came up together. Grant fought with Lee, and there was like this battle of, I think, like Chapultepec or something, where Grant, they, they couldn't get a message from one portion of the army to the other, and, they ha- and somebody had to run the, like a gauntlet with, uh, you know, two mountains, and, you know, the Mexicans were all up what? shooting. And Grant ran it. Grant ran wow. it. He was an excellent horseman. And he actually, when he was getting shot at, he pulled himself down the side of his horse and like rode the horse sideways and <sighs> was shot at from one way and then pulled back over and rode it the other way. That's insane. Why hasn't Hollywood done this yet? This I know. Movie? It's just I mean, like, truly. Yeah. It writes itself. And him and Lee were buddies. <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. Lee didn't really respect him, but, you know, because Lee thought he was a drunk. He was a, he's a fucking idiot. But, but they were uh, buddies. Okay. I was going to ask why, but was it because he was a drunk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to a degree. But he wasn't a, he wasn't a drunk, though. That's the thing with Grant. Like, he couldn't hold his alcohol. He would have, like, you know, for you and right. I, if we have, like, 
two fingers of bourbon, we drink that, you know, we're going to be feeling okay, but we're not going to be drunk. Grant yeah. would be hammered. That's what you mentioned before. That's so, I'm so curious about that. So he could drink like two shots and be and wasted. He only, he only did that when he was away from his family. And that was when he was away from like his family, when he was fighting the Mexican American war and he was on some outpost in Arizona and you know, he would have a couple drinks and then everybody thought he was a fucking drunk. So not true. Like totally like a, a false narrative on that in terms of drunk. Didn't he talk about that in his memoirs too? The Mark Twain pen. Well, he had to write Here's the deal too. And you need to take this into consideration when you read his memoirs, he wrote his memoirs when he was dying. Uh, I think somebody put him up in a house in New York or something. And he wrote his memoirs over the course of about six months. Wow. Throat cancer, right? Came through all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guy loves cigars. Loved loved the cigar. Have you read his memoirs? I have not. I have not. I'm surprised because you've written most things that I've ever been written about. I've read three biographies on him. I wonder if they're tough to read because I'm kind of in the the phase where (laughs) I would jump into a biography. Some of them are tough to read. They are, yeah, because they're you get in. You get into about halfway, and it's just like, oh my god, you know. Yeah, that, 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 that's my whole thing. I don't really want to read autobiographies d- yeah. written during that time because they're usually not good. They're written in period language, and they're not written professionally. Where biographies are written by a professional writer covering they, the gamut of what's interesting. They, they cleaned his up a little bit, and it and really from you know what I've gathered from what I've read on him, uh, it's a pretty good autobiography, but. You know, it's it's his. So yeah, I haven't read it, so I I can't really judge. But no, and I I can't say anything to that either. So uh, Grant was notoriously we hit on this before unlucky in business. After spending oh, yeah. a decade in the army, serving with distinction in the Mexican American War, he actually resigned his post in 1854, and the next several years he spent flopping around uh, as a rent collector, a farmer a real estate agent, if you can picture those three professions. And he once had to uh, earn a living by selling firewood on St. Louis street corners. Uh, the between... Civil War saved him. Apparently, I didn't know that. He the was Civil really Wars, bad at business. The man was, yeah, he was horrible at business. And he would never have excelled at anything on that front. Uh, the fact that we had the Civil War saved his, uh, his, uh, I don't know, his whole livelihood. Livelihood. Even even after though he was president, you know, he got elected president eventually. Uh, yeah. He he was poor and destitute after that. So that was my next question: Was he? Because I heard he was like broke, and then his like memoir saved him or saved his family from. Yeah. Being well, that's broke. what that's what that's why he read them. Because oh, he, it was like a last he wasn't ditch. doing it for him. He was saving him for his family. How was how would you rate him as a president? Like, let's say Grant never was a general during the Civil War, and he but he was elected president, which we know wouldn't happen because he was ultimately elected because of his victories. But sure. how does he fare as a as a United States president? I put him in the bottom third. Yeah, 
That's usually what you hear when you read. Yeah. No major accomplishments as a as no, a because he didn't he didn't understand the political machine and he wasn't able to maneuver within that and he didn't do it and a lot yeah. of the scandal and stuff that came out with him was not his fault. It was a lot of people around him that he trusted and he put his trust in the wrong people, essentially. Um, so the scandal stuff pushed that away. He's still in the bottom third. Uh, an unbelievable, incredibly great general. Uh, right. But not, of course. Not a good president. Still better than James Buchanan, though. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know much about Grant as president, I'm sad to say. I know a little bit, but I, I haven't really dived into that as much as I I should. I, I probably will. Well, the term lobbyist came from Grant. Really? Do you know that? I did, I did not. Well, well, how did that come about? Well, you mentioned the Willard Hotel. Yes. Right next to the White House. That's where the individuals who were seeking court with the president would hang out before they went to the White House. So they were wow, in the lobby. Really? They were in the lobby of the Willard, so they became lobbyists. No shit. Yeah. That's where it came from. I have to use that in something. And it wasn't that Grant was so corrupt that he was taking all these people in and just using everything it was he was inept as a president uh to you know know where to push these people away and you know no i'm not going to take your time you know i'm the fuck yeah right but that's where lobbyists came from that's where the connotation also came from yeah right there in the world that's praising bob you need to write a book no i know you do really it would be a bestseller i'm not i'm not even bullshitting you it would be very very good you would appeal to a lot of people that otherwise probably wouldn't research this kind of stuff because you it, well, it would be that, but yeah it would be good i know a lot about a bunch of little stuff that amounts to pretty much nothing no amounts to a lot it's pretty good stuff i have one more thing i want to bring up about grant by the way i want to mention this i wrote this down there's a website coronavirus.gov you know they're like trying to show resources and solidarity but their tagline is hashtag which i always think dis discredits a movement. I get it. Hashtags or social media. It's what's 2020. It's a hashtag. It's, it's I get it. To deal with. But I never think the government should be using hashtags no. because, like, but anyway, the hashtag is stand or alone together, which I think is terrible. It should. I mean, if you were doing like hashtag still standing or stand strong, I get it. But alone together, alone doesn't invoke a kind of sense of patriotism and you know, uh, political fervor well, for me. I don't want to be alone. I want us to all be standing together, holding hands, not alone together from the this government. Isn't, this isn't about patriotism. This is about, you know, let's do the best we can for our fellow man. And it's not okay. alone together. It's, you know, let's do the best we can going forward. And we're going to do it. We, we will do that. And, it's uh oh it's girlfriend while bob answers this call i want to remind you to listen to all the shows on uh, itunes roku spotify and podbean i like that ringtone bob i have the same one yeah that was my work phone
Sorry about that. Uh oh, it was Grant from the grave, and he he's. Nah, I just might be getting fired. We'll see. God forbid that'll never happen. The day but, Bob gets fired is the day I become a French citizen. But we, we, we look at where we're going with all this stuff, and we need to you know keep the bigger picture in mind and not play both sides of the political angles. So thank you. I agree. It's not a time for backdoor politics and playing sides and uh, using this to your advantage um, negatively or even shamelessly on a political spectrum. It's uh, it's like the Great Depression. It's like being at war. You need to sacrifice, pull together, and we'll get through this. There's not any room for uh, for bullshit and division at this point. That's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely no room for bullshit right now. No. no room for bullshit. You got to cut that out. I'm tired of that. Yeah, there's there's no place for that. No matter what side of the aisle you fall on, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Uh, no, we got to band together. It's like the Great Depression. You know, you got to make sacrifices. You got to. Uh, I mean, look at World War II. A lot of things right now are being put on hold. Uh, we'll take Amazon for example. They're not shipping certain things because they need to focus on medical stuff. Which, by the way, shows you how much of a sham Amazon is like, Oh, the greatest country in the world. Like a month in they they can't do orders. Like they're, they're well, not as big. Look at as the, the interview that one of their guys gave. Oh yeah. See minutes. Like, Oh God. I saw that. It's like dead really? eyes, you know, right. Just, like uh, totally. Right. <sighs> but like, but not, but during World War II, you know, certain things, uh, bumpers on certain cars were made out of wood because they had to use metal for military equipment. Uh, I'm not saying World War II is like the coronavirus. It certainly is not. But in the sense that everyday Americans need to make cer- certain sacrifices for the greater good in the short run, I feel like can be compared because it's not going to be business as usual for a little while. But we will get through it. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Uh, the last thing I want to mention up was uh, – and I didn't know this, Bob, but Grant won the first major union victory of the Civil War – do you know what that is? Chickamauga? Yeah, what is this about? I didn't realize this was the first major victory. I obviously know about it. But... It was a huge battle on a river in Tennessee. Right. And uh, he got his ass kicked for probably about the first day or two. And then came back and pushed uh, the Confederates off their lines. Uh and that's that's that battle right there is what got the attention of Abraham Lincoln to put him in command of the Army of the Potomac to crush Robert E. Lee and push uh, the Confederates uh, down, you know, after they've been kicking our ass with these stupid generals who've been lollygagging and dicking around. Uh, and gallivanting in paradise. Yeah. Well, even I think Lincoln said something like to to Meade when not to Meade to uh, McClellan when they were down on the uh, peninsula. He said, you know, I don't want you guys to be like, you know, shucking oysters and, and, you know, drinking champagne. You need to be planning for battle. Shucking oysters. And those guys have a reputation for uh, screwing around, not screwing around, but. Nah, McClellan did. He did. Not screwing around, but, you know, just not fighting. 
Yeah. Okay. He, he was scared. He didn't want to. He didn't want to throw the army up against anything. Chickama- Chickamauga. Yeah. It was the uh, first way. The first time that unconditional surrender. Um. Started coming around. It, it was saying the first full Confederate force was captured, and grateful Northerners inundated unconditional surrender Grant with cigars. Um, after it was reported, he smoked one during the attack. Is that an accurate assessment of history? Was he smoking a cigar during the during the battle? I don't know. I hope so. I I think he should be, and he could be, because Grant's not there with a sword fighting people. He's back away, monitoring the situation and giving orders. Well, so he's I hope on, he was smoking, he's right? On a horse, and basically, he'll be on a horse going back and forth, you know, over just like looking at the lines. And saying, like, you know, push that one up, push that one up, bring that one back, you know. Okay. Because I want to ask about this. How does that work? General Civil War battle. There's no cell phones. You're not on a computer. You're not looking at sat images. Uh, are you monitoring from, like, I don't know, a quarter mile away, moving around, getting different? Mile means- away. Okay, like a mile away? Yeah. Because the information has to be quickly sped up because it's not real time. There's no, you know, radios or phones. Oh, no, the information transfer is uh, horrible. Uh, is it? Okay. So you have what guys who have flags and the other yeah. side knows that. So they're going to shoot the guys with the flags. Oh, shit. Uh, guys with the flags are like the guy with the cell phone or the radio that's, yeah. here's what we got. So you're going to shoot them and then that breaks down the, the line of communication. Exactly. But it Grant would, would run his horse back and forth, and they all did it. You know, Lee did it too on the Confederate side. They run their horse back and forth, you know, th- almost like sometimes even through the lines. Really? They would come in through the lines and then come back out. Uh, and that's, that's how they would get, gain a better grasp of, you know, where the forces are, where they need to go, and – you know, wow, let's move them. And not not to mention how slow the uh, line of communication is, or the, the the relay of information. But you're in hot weather um, for the most part. I think Chickamauga was winter, so I don't think it was that hot. But a lot of these, like Gettysburg, you're in these like full wool uniforms in hot weather, also under the stress of being shot at. Also under the stress of shooting uh, and fear. And uh, like those conditions alone could give anybody a heart attack. Uh, for, for General Grant, just to go through that and all these moving parts, uh, it's pretty fucking crazy if you think about it. Yeah. And you look at that and the stress that puts on you. And Lee, right. actually, during Gettysburg was probably, you know, there, this isn't confirmed. There's nothing confirmed. But from what he's written down and what he's transcribed uh, in terms of what he went through at Gettysburg, uh, he, he had a heart attack at Gettysburg. Lee he did. had a heart attack? Yeah. Wow. Lee did? Yeah. What did, they, what did they do? Were they like, oh, he's lightheaded. Put him in the tent. But he really, like, collapsed? I just rode on his horse and went to bed, woke up the next night. He was fine. Are you serious? That's a man right there. Yeah. 
I have a heart attack. I'm dead. That's it. <laughs> no, he, he, I don't know if it was like a full blown heart attack, but it was like he, he had some issues going on. Because yeah. he died of a heart attack then in 1876. That's when he died, right? Is that what yeah. he said? Yeah. Same year as Custer. Oh, yeah. Well, Custer didn't really have it going his way there. What do you make of Custer? He really didn't have a chance. I mean, the poor guy. I feel like, uh, you know, if if it was a coin toss, and I go back to Bill Cosby, and I hate to bring that name up. (laughs) Yeah, but still. And, you know, you flip a coin, and hey, uh, George, we're going to have... you know, you're going to have all the army behind you, or, you know, if this flips over on tails, all the <laughs> Indians in the world are going to drive down on you. Right. Then what happened? And he got tails. It's pretty. <laughs> he was pretty... stupid. He was dumb. Yeah. And Custer was at Gettysburg. Yeah, Custer... I didn't know that until you, I think like a year or two years ago, you brought that up and it blew my mind. Custer fought he was at Gettysburg. He was a commander at Gettysburg and he smashed the side of the Confederate line at Gettysburg. Little round shot? them from, being, from going through the town and getting behind the Union lines. No shit. Wait, tell me more about that for a second. Custer wasn't a general, though, right? At that time? Because he, he was, was too young. No, he was 22 years old and was a general at Gettysburg. He was a general at 22? Yes, cavalry. Amazing. Yep. It's pretty impressive. Well, if enough people get shot, you know, yeah, you, get promoted, you get promoted pretty quickly. Hey, man, most all the guys are dead. Hey, you, what's your name? Charlie. Hey, Charlie, you're a uh, second get colonel. Up get up here. Let's do it. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, and he saved the one side of the Union line at Gettysburg. Hey, he really did. I mean, the town if, side? Because, because if they, yeah, by the town. Because if they had swept around the backside of the Union, I mean, they're fucked. And the cavalry was responsible, or he was responsible, the cavalry. Yeah, Yeah, because when Pickett's Charge came in on the Union front, uh, the Union, you know, they saw what was happening. And so they, the cavalry is always the first to go. They're like, first to land, last to leave. Yeah, it's like Marines. Rangers. He went out. He went out and pushed the Confederates back, so they couldn't get around the backside. He saved cavalry. He saved the right side of the Union line. I mean, that's amazing. He's a hero in that regard. Also, too, Gettysburg today is very open and vast. It's a farm town for the most part. I mean, it's built up and stuff. But back then, you're talking just fields and fields and forests and woods. And that's it. And to move like huge amounts of men and and units and divisions and, you know, whatever, uh, from one point to another with the, we were talking about the the information, you know, breakdown of communication is very difficult to do. There's a lot of moving parts with a lot of fucking people uh, in real time going on. Yeah. Like you make one wrong move. Like you can't just be like, ah, back it up, back it up. We're good. We're good. We're good. Just cancel that. It's like, Dude, the, the wheels are moving. Like you're fucked. It's yeah, very difficult to do. Yeah, well, that's that's I think why the uh, entire Confederate Army got caught there because that wasn't a battle where. What do you mean? 
I know it wasn't a battle where they they didn't say, "Hey, Gettysburg's a good spot." They just end up meeting there. Yeah, but is it because of the Confederates, uh, like piss poor planning or something? To a certain extent, yes. Yeah, because it, it was accidental. Yeah, the Confederates were going up there, and Lee did want to engage the Union, uh, the Union Army, uh, up in their territory. Uh, he didn't expect it at Gettysburg. That was an accidental uh, battle. Right. And they came up, and they were they were totally spread out. I mean, Lee had pretty much half of his army. Uh, which was Stonewall Jackson's part, you know, off. Fighting Stonewall. Yeah, in, in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, so That's a lot of troops. And, yeah, it was probably like 160,000 troops. That's a lot. That he had over there. So right. he had to bring them back over once they engaged uh, the dismounted cavalry, uh, Buford's cavalry. At Gettysburg, and he realized, "Holy shit, we just hit, we just hit the Union Army." And there, and what are you gonna do? You're like, "All right, this is where it's happening. It's going down." Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like looking for a guy that you're. It's like looking for another gang. I say this like I, I know what gangs are. I don't know any gang, but it's like, "Hey, we're gonna go find him." And then you run into him in like the locker room, and you're like, "Fuck! All right, let's do it. Here we are." When half of like your friends are like somewhere else. Yeah, that's a loose. That's a loose. This, the Civil War is a little different than a locker room fight, but uh, you know. Gettysburg's kind of like a hail mary, though. You know, to advance that far north, that well, was probably his way of thinking we're going to turn the war if we fucking beat them in Pennsylvania, because that's a ballsy yeah. move. That was a happenstance, and once they were there, they figured, all right, let's do this. You know, let let let's kick their ass like we kicked their ass. All the way up Virginia, and we'll kick their ass in Gettysburg, like they did in Chancellorsville. Yeah, yeah, and they and they they didn't realize that uh, uh, we we were dug in, and it wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah, we're, and it's it's our it's our turf. You're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. By the way, listeners, if you're not familiar with this. Um, Bob mentioned this in a previous show. This is pretty interesting. Different battles uh, or battles of the Civil War often have different names, whether it's in Confederate history or Union history. So, example, the Battle of Bull Run is also known as the Battle of Matt Clark and I have all the facts. What's an example, Bob, of like a battle that... Oh, dear. You put me on the spot now. Uh... Yeah, I know. Here, here's what we do. the The, the battles go from the north. Manassas. They, yeah, Manassas and Bull Run. Go on. What were you gonna say? I'm sorry. No, I, that's exactly what I was gonna say. That was the only example I had, but that 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 happens. Um, there are like different names of the battles depending on which side you're on here's the amazing thing you can do you can go to the battlefields today where these guys fought and uh god the the battle in manassas yeah um, there was literally a 
a, a train line that went uh, back in those days that went across uh, the battlefield. Um, and there's a huge ravine that goes down there. And the soldiers charged, the Confederate soldiers charged into the ravine and were basically just like executed by oh, shit. Uh, the Union soldiers um, as they were trying to come up. And that ravine is still there. And it's not anything that's like, it's not something that is, uh, you know, it's not like spectacular. Yeah. It's not something that is monumented. It's nothing like that. Literally you walk across like a wooden plank and you look over and that's where like probably four or 500 people got shot to death. Oh shit. Wait, where is this Bob? Manassas. Wow. And it's for the second battle. What, what there kind of, there were two battles at Manassas. Oh, really? Yeah. The first one was 1861. The second one was 1863? Yep. I'm not and very familiar with that that battle, though, I, unfortunately. I, I should yeah, probably know. soldiers were not very good at uh, burying their dead. So, what do you mean? They left them there? Well, they buried Shallow? them, but then they put them in, like, you know, two-foot graves. Oh, by the time come up to the back, surface. Yeah, by the time they got back... Uh, like the guy's knees were, you know, sticking. Oh, dude, that's a sin. Yeah. Because they make haste. They had yeah. to make haste to get the fuck out of it. Let me ask you this side topic, burning question I have. World War II, there's no helicopters then. When soldiers got, U.S. soldiers got killed in action during like Okinawa, Iwo Jima, did they bury those guys on the islands or how did, did they ship them back to the U.S.? Uh, no, they bury him on the spot. Okay, I told my wife that. We were watching the Pacific the other night, and she thinks I know everything history, which, of course, I'm not you, so I don't. So she's like, what did we do that with those soldiers? I was like, well, we didn't have helicopters. They, we, we're not going to put them on a, a rotting on a ship. We buried them on the island, which I know is true in some cases. Yeah. But was that what we did for everything? We had to bury yeah. them there? Buried them on the spot. So those soldiers are still over there. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, it was a side thing. I, I remembered it. I wanted to ask you the other night, but brought it up. So uh, uh, one more question I have, and we can wrap this up because I know it's getting late there for you, but the Battle of Manassas, when you talk about this ravine, um, the battlefield itself, is it visitor-friendly like Gettysburg? Can you go no. there, and is it like... No. They don't show it's the respect not, it and should have. I don't like it visitor friendly because it's more unique and uh, more real. Preserved? Yeah, more preserved. Like I could have probably gone down in there and reached in that ravine and grabbed like a handful of gra- of uh, dirt out and pulled out, you know, bullets. No shit. Probably. Do they have any accommodations there? Like, like a visitor center? I'm just curious of like how yeah, untouched it is. They do. They okay. do. Like, yeah. They have all that stuff. Um, but there's not like a park guy that's like, hey, stand behind the fence. Come look over here. No, we, we had a guide and everything, and then like the guide went away, and it was like, <laughs> shit. The guy went away. He said, all right, you guys got this. Yeah. Well, what are you supposed to do? Like fuck each other or something? 
Could you imagine though if you if you were like fucking around one of those spots and you did find like an old bullet or something like that? Like how? Oh, I cool guarantee you. I guarantee you in that ravine you'd be able to find a whole lot of shit. What would you do with that? Like how amazing would that be? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't even want it. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to touch that. Yeah, because it was just you know they're just shooting down on you know they're fellow Americans essentially. They are. Yeah, it's wartime. Fellow Americans, they 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 died in battle. Yeah, you know it's not a it's not a it's not a souvenir to take. It's not Disneyland. It's yeah. not there to take home. You should respect it. Um, I know it's getting late there, Bob. We can wrap this up. This has been almost two hours. So, uh, well, I hope it was good. Oh, this was amazing. This is one of the best shows. I really hope we can do more of these history hours. And when John's available, he wanted to be here tonight, but he had something to do. Uh, for work early tomorrow, he said. But um, yeah, would love to do more history hours as as often as you can because these are these are gold. They make me want to read more because I, I feel stupid talking oh, to you. Stupid. No, no, this was great. Thanks for talking about Grant though and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm, still well, I'm glad you. I could, uh, I'm glad I could uh, contribute a little bit there. About everything, you could just pull some. I could pull some out of my ass and be like, "Yeah, Napoleon, Battle of." Uh, Waterloo, and you're like, well, actually, man, everything you're saying is wrong. Here's what happened. Like, you, you no. get it. No. You don't. I, I still can't believe you lived in D.C., though, for six months. I'm jealous. That's such a cool experience to have. Tortured my roommate. Yeah? We went to everything. And I'll tell you, the if you're going to do one thing in D.C. Listen up, listeners. Go to one place. Go to Ford's Theater, where Lincoln was shot. And go to that museum in the basement because that is the best thing you're going to see. Wow. It's got the pillows that he died on, uh, his okay. jacket that he, at the back of his head, he bled all over. Uh, and then really the Peterson, the Peterson house where he died is right across the street where they took him over. They wouldn't take him back to the white house, which is only four, four blocks away. Uh, the Peterson they would have risked it. They just took him across the street. Because the carriage ride would have killed him. Shit. It's still there, too, and, like, preserved Oh, yeah. Somewhat. The, the exact – and I talked to the park ranger. The banister that is there uh, coming down from the staircase is the same banister that they lifted him over. No to, way. To the back room. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So Ford's I, Theater – I love stuff like that. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. That's amazing. I love park rangers, too, when they're knowledgeable. I was in oh, Philadelphia yeah. with the wife, and we were just passing through City Hall, not City Hall, Independence Hall, and she had a quick question of, of like, something trivial. And the guy gave such a good explanation. and ended up, like, giving her, her his gloves because it was freezing. He's like, oh, hey, with gloves. Like, the nicest guy. Those park rangers that, like, know what they're talking about and they love their job are, like, the best people in the yes. world. Yeah. Um, but I, so you mentioned Ford's Theater before, real quick, and you always mention to go there, and it, it, it sounds amazing. But the bait you said the basement, there's a uh, a museum in the basement of the theater. It's it's a whole deal of Lincoln, like the assassination. They even have the door that yeah uh, punched a hole in through to see Lincoln before he shot him. That's there. Uh, yeah, the door. The entire door is there. Uh, his hair, Lincoln's hair, is there. His uh, hair? Yeah. Wow. Really? 
Yeah, and the blood from the pillows that they put under his head. Oh, and my he gosh. Bleeding out. That's got to be surreal to see. It was breathtaking. It's, it's to, incredible. To, to he, stand there. That's and see. the best. That and the American History Museum in this Smithsonian. Oh, yeah, I've been there. That place is awesome. Yeah. I love the American History Museum. Well, you I have been to go to Ford's Theater. I do. And I, I couldn't imagine standing there and seeing that's President Lincoln's blood on the pillow is right there in front of you. Yeah. It's I, incredible. How crowded was it when you went? Is it like mobbed? I'm curious because that's got to be like a big draw. Or is it like any other place where there's crowds, but it's, you know, I've been there. Get a... I'll be honest. I've been there like a million times. Really? Yeah. They still have uh, shows at Ford's Theater. And I used to go there with my parents. Really? Over Christmas time and watch A Christmas Carol. Oh, my gosh. Theater. But what I, I would, have was. I'd say I had to go to the bathroom and I would go down and they, nobody ever locked the basement. So no. I'm in the museum and just be down there by myself. Dude. That shit. You're lying. No, that's I I was. crazy. It was awesome. I have a heart on right now. I'm getting legitimate wood. So you can see just that whole dichotomy of seeing a Christmas carol like during I'm Christmas at Fort Peter. I'm down there with all of his shit, all of Lincoln's stuff by Dude, myself. That's amazing. That's that's like a once in a lifetime kind of experience right there. Yeah. No, it was pretty cool. That's amazing. I and hope I it's that, like, like that. Two years in a row. That's incredible. I went down there because they didn't lock it. I couldn't believe they didn't lock it because I, I was trying to like sneak my way in. And there's, there's like a guard down there just hanging out. No, no. Wait, wait it's, you mean it's literally just you? I thought you meant it was just you as like a, a patron. No, no, That's no. Insane. I like opened the door and walked down there and it was just me. What? That's crazy. That's amazing. What are you taking the girlfriend up there? That's that's how that's how you could seal any deal. You could be like, yeah, yeah I've been to Ford's Theater. Hey, baby, let me get down on my Look knee. That. And here's Lincoln's uh, bloodstained pillow. Here's his bloodstained pillow. That's amazing, dude. That's fucking awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight, man. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Oh, we got to do another show soon. This was great. Sure. Check out Darlington listeners this Wednesday, NASCAR. And Sunday. I'm sorry, Sunday, Wednesday. Yeah, it's Sunday Wednesday. and Wednesday. Sunday and Wednesday. <laughs> Sunday. Is it Wednesday too, really? Yeah. Okay, that's where I got it from. This Sunday, Darlington, South Carolina, NASCAR. Place your bets. Put them in the hat. Listen to Bob's predictions. Tweet us at the underscore podcastle. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Godspeed. Good luck. Bob, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it.